Welcome to episode number 40 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring Oscar-nominated actress Diane Cannon. We'll discuss her work in the Oscar-nominated film Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which also featured performances from Elliot Gould, Robert Culp, and Natalie Wood. Also, her collaborations with directors Sidney Lumet, Warren Beatty, and the late Paul Mazursky. And her work with actors Peter Sellers, Walter Matthau, and Elaine Stritch. Diane Cannon was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actress on Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and Heaven Can Wait. As a director, she also received an Academy Award nomination for Best Short Film for Number One. We'll also discuss her early career on stage in the touring company of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, as well as her view of what makes a great director and the key to a collaboration between an actor and a director. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at jogroad, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash jogroad, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jogroad Productions, and you can now follow us on Instagram, Productions. By following us on those platforms of social media and writing us a review on the iTunes podcast page for Road to Cinema, you'll be entered into a contest to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by our friends at Final Draft. And now we join Oscar-nominated actress Diane Cannon as we discuss her early career as being part of the touring company for the stage play How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. The main thing I learned about acting, life is the best lesson for acting. Life, how we live every day. The discipline of acting comes very, very much if you tour with a with a, uh, a company like that. The discipline involved is, because you know, I might not have felt like this interview today, or you might not have felt like taking it. Um, you might have felt like having donuts and watching a movie today, right? <laughs> and that's how life is. Sometimes yeah. we just don't feel like it. I mean, right now I'm... I'm co-writing a Broadway musical that I'm starring, and we're doing the book, music, lyrics, everything. Wow, that's incredible. What's the play called? I'm not going to give you the title yet. Okay. <laughs> but um, it's we're protecting it, but we've got our a Tony-winning uh, Broadway director involved. I've got the producers already generously footing the bills, and... It's discipline. You don't feel like sitting down and writing every day. So you learn how to get, in answer to your question, you learn how to get past the feelings. You learn how to get past that, and you discipline yourself to say, this is it, this is what I've committed to, this is what I'm going to do, period, amen, let's get on with it. That was the biggest lesson to me, because you travel with these huge trunks, and you arrive in a city maybe at 4, and you're performing at 7, and you have to get to the theater, and there's makeup, and there's hair. And, of course, in those days, I didn't have a makeup and hairdresser. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> Honestly, with traveling and everything, we did our own makeup, our own hair. But when you're learning, you, you're willing to do that because you don't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a difference for you in terms of acting on a stage versus acting in front of a camera? Stage is bigger and broader and um, louder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on camera, 
especially in close-ups, you don't have to say a word, and you can convey the meaning you want with just the look of an eye or the, whatever it is that the director is expecting from you. But um, it was a great romp, and I love the theater uh, so much that I'm going back to it. Yeah, you're working on a, on a musical right now. Yes. What? Uh, so I was curious too. Um, you know, you've worked with so many amazing film directors. Uh, you know, go through Paul Mazursky, Warren Beatty, Otto Preminger, Blake Edwards, Sidney Lumet. Uh, so I was sort of wondering. Um, you know, without, you don't have to be specific as far as each one, but what was sort of what are some positive traits you sort of picked up about filmmaking from those directors, and what maybe some sort of negative traits that um, may have been sort of counterproductive to the filmmaking process. I don't think. Um you know, each director has his own style and his own way of doing things because most directors are most, not all. The best are original thinkers. So that means they think thoughts differently than most of us. And they want a certain result. And some of them have an idea of how to get there. The best directors I've ever worked for bring the best out of the actor or actress by allowing them if they've cast it correctly, by allowing them to bring out the qualities that are needed for the scene. Uh, sincerity. Um, like the... I remember my first acting class with Sandy Meisner, who was one of the greats of all time. Uh, he had us sing the song Happy Birthday. And in singing that song Happy Birthday, I had to make you laugh. I had to make you cry. I had to frustrate you. I had to make you angry. Those were with the same words. Same words I had to do that with. That was my assignment. So you learn how to dig deep. And if you're working for a director that's an original thinker, then they can find out what makes you tick and bring the best out of you for whatever is needed. The worst directors I've worked for just will say faster and funnier. That's not great directing. Although sometimes it gets worked and it gets it done, you know. <laughs> sometimes the director will just want something done with alacrity and speed. And and when you say faster and funnier, how do you make it funny? That's, that's a director's job is to tell you if you're not accomplishing that for him, how to do that. So for you, it's really about specificity of a director really telling you how to reach that point of success in a way. Exactly. I've directed. I've directed stage. I've directed a movie, a couple. And um, I know how to get out of my own way as an actress, so I've helped actors do that. I think some of the best directors are actors. I mean, Clint Eastwood's a brilliant director. Paul Mazursky was brilliant. Um... There's many. Oh, Warren Beatty. Warren's a really good director. I was curious on on uh, Heaven Can Wait. Uh, I believe it was Warren Beatty and Buck Henry directing at the same time. Uh, so, how does that sort of function on a set when you have two directors? Is one sort of in charge of a certain idea? Um, unless they're in perfect sync, which is not which was not always the case, <laughs> because everybody sees. You know, if you and I are going to sit down and read a page now together, we're both going to see it differently. 
So there's got to be one guy at the wheel. Well, most people are in such sync that, you know, they know how to bring, as I said before, the best qualities out of you. It's a, a Herculean task. And uh, Sidney Lamette. Sydney um, spent two weeks in a rehearsal studio. He had the floors blocked off. We knew the exact size of the set. We knew where the furniture was going to be. We knew our marks well before we got on. He, he rehearsed the movie like a play so that when we got on the set, we knew exactly what we were doing. So did the cinematographer who had all, was already able to, because he was there at our rehearsals in the last week. So he could, he knew what his lighting was going to be, and Sidney always brought in his movies ahead of schedule, and that was why. He was yeah. brilliant. No, it's incredible, um, you know, from reading about Sidney Lumet's process, how specific he was in using that rehearsal time, because I think sometimes filmmakers who have rehearsal before shooting a film, they don't use it to really you know, bring in all of the departments, like you were saying, the cinematographer was there, probably the production designer, everyone. wardrobe. Props, everyone. So when, when you eventually got to the set to film, was it a very easy, fluid process, or was it? Well, there... it wasn't always easy, <laughs> but it was fluid for the most part. Yeah, because everyone knew exactly what their job was. The property master knew what props he would need. Now, you know, things always change. Um, or sometimes change. But for the most part, um, it's, it's, just, it's just a godsend. I don't, know, I don't know how people, you know, bring in movies ahead of time without that. I mean, he always did. Always, always, always. Yeah, and I worked with other directors that rehearsed scenes and, uh, as you say, Jeffrey, they, did, they didn't use their time well. It was more inventive, trying, improvising, seeing if we could improve the writing through improvisation, uh, getting to know each other. Uh, but Sidney, uh, in my opinion, uh, was the best at that, at using rehearsal time. Yeah, no, it's such a unique thing. And then you hear like people like Clint Eastwood, who doesn't do any rehearsal, and he just kind of they just show up, and he does one take, and you know, it's interesting how uh, different directors kind of function. Well, <laughs> I understand that too. You know, like in comedy, if Sidney had been directing comedies, that would not have worked. But as you know, Sidney didn't do comedies. In comedy, it's usually. The first and second take that you put in the that you print. Any more than that? Now that's not the way Warren worked. Warren did a lot of takes in comedy, but that was unusual. Uh, what do you think he was trying to discover by doing so many takes? Was he sort of looking for multiple options in the editing room, or was he really trying to figure out what the scene was? I think so, both. Yeah. Both. Because comedy is is totally different totally different and the first or second first or second take that's it after that comedy gets a little flat and so I can understand sometimes Clint wanting to set up his camera and just do it you know okay let's get this take and some directors like to do that 
I've worked in France with, you know, some major film directors who do a line at a time, which drove me crazy. I wanted to talk about Paul Mazursky, who passed away last year. And, you know, personally, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And, uh, you know, your role in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, that was, you know, a huge breakout for you in film. So I was sort of curious um, how you came across working on that project, if it was an audition, and um, also, too, just your working collaboration with, uh, with Paul on the film. I was doing theater in Chicago, and my agent called me and uh, said, well, I want to bring you out. They're casting a film, Bob Carroll said, no, I think you're perfect for it, and they want to see you at Universal. They're interested in signing you to a five-picture deal. That's what they did in those days. And I said, okay. Um, arranged with the people that were doing the play to have my understudy go on for the weekend, which was not easy because the weekend is, is the most money. It was the Pheasant Run Playhouse. That's what it was, Pheasant Run. And I flew into Los Angeles on a Thursday night, was given the script Friday morning, went in and read for Paul and uh, Paul and his partner, Larry Tucker, and they had co-written the script, and the same day, they called my agent and said, we want to test her on Monday for the part of Alice, we have to have an answer today. In the meantime, I had gone to Universal, and Universal Studios wanted to offer me a five-picture deal, and they had to have an answer by Monday. Now, my agent said, you've got to take the five-picture deal because it was for a lot of money. In those days, it was for a huge amount of money and five movies that I was guaranteed to do. The, the movie with Mazursky was <laughs> a screen test, okay? <laughs> they wanted to test me with Elliot. So it wasn't a guarantee that you would get the role? It was no, just a test. No, yeah. no, no guarantee at all. But I really got quiet, and for the first time in a long time, I trusted myself. And there was, the part was just so good. I didn't understand why Natalie didn't want to do it. It was such a good part. And I hadn't, I'd done films, but I hadn't done a major part in a major film until that time. So they tested me. I, I went for the test. And the test turned out so well that they used it for the NATO convention in order to sell the film. And it was the, the test was the scene with Elliot and I in the bedroom when he wants to have sex and I don't. And then he's sort of pacing around the room and you guys have that great uh, conflict in there. Yeah. It's an incredible scene. That was a scene that they tested me for. And it was such a huge hit that, that as I say, they used it to sell to the NATO convention and... Uh, and then Paul and I became very, very close. He and his whole family and his wife. And we gave him a send-off recently um, at one of the theaters. We ran Bob Carroll Cudnell. And I was there, and Elliot uh, was there, and Quincy Jones was there. That was one of his first big movies that he scored. And who else? I think it was, it was the three of us. Natalie's gone and Bob is gone. Right. Shocking. Is that tough for you to watch the film? Uh, sort Hard of? for me? No, I love it every time I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I love Paul. And as a matter of fact, I was 
I was walking in Beverly Hills one day, and uh, this was about, let's see, I always think everything is yesterday, but it was a few months ago, I guess. I don't know, close to that. And I got out of my car, and paparazzi are running to me, and they said, oh, do you want to see uh, Paul? He's having lunch with Mel Brooks down the block. I said, yeah, take me to him. So they did. <laughs> and uh, I sat down with Paul and Mel, and Paul was then in a wheelchair, and uh, but still spunky, still, you know. He used to meet every Friday at the um, farmer's market with a group of writers and actors and talk about the business. He loved the business so much. He loved it. And his partner, Larry Tucker, was as brilliant as Paul. Larry was had a he was kind of built like a Buddha. He had kind of like from his neck out down to his groin was a stomach. And he was bedridden for the last ten years of his life. Mm. And uh, and so they stopped working together after Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice. But a great man. It was a great partnership and they were it was such fun to work with them. That's such a good time. So what was your uh, process on that film? Did you have a big rehearsal period? Because a lot of those scenes are played out very, very long, which is sort of unusual for feature films in a way, especially today. Well, that's because of the way he directed, you know. He was a happy cross between... um, Oh, between who? Between... I can't compare him with anyone... He just, he just, you know, he was very careful in the casting, and then he just allowed his actors to do the thing, and then if he didn't like it, we'd do another tape. Yeah. The uh, the scene that you have with Elliot Gould, which um, it's sort of in the middle of the film, and it must go on for almost 10 minutes. Uh, so I'm sort of curious, when you shot that scene for the actual film, uh, you know, what that process was like working what with Elliot. What are you talking about? Oh, the um, the scene in the in the bedroom uh, where you guys are sort of arguing about you know he wants to have sex and then you go to sleep. That's and the then... scene I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the scene that they used to sell to the NATO convention. Was that? Uh... That's the scene that they tested me for. Yeah, but when when you went to film uh, the scene for the film, was it was it tough sort of getting that energy going and because it's such like an electric scene, it just feels so. Uh, you and Elliot. Is it really hard have... to get it going? No, no. If you're an experienced actor, that's your job. Yeah. You don't. It's not hard to get going at all if you you know if you know what you're doing. And because we had, because we had filmed that scene, uh, because I had screen tested for that scene, we we knew it. We knew the scene. Yeah, you and Elliot have such a, an electric chemistry. In, yeah, we uh, had a film. we had a really good. <laughs> We had a really good, uh, it was just right. It was just, it was, it was such a wonderful experience, that, that whole movie. And Natalie was so wonderful with me and so gracious and so willing to teach me. And, I mean, to teach me the where, you know, because I hadn't been on a major set. She was just so kind. We became great friends. Yeah. What are uh, some memories that you have with Natalie Wood? Where after the film wrapped, where you stayed close to her uh, through through the end of her life? Oh yeah, very close. We were close friends. Uh, I was curious too about um, sort of some other people that you've worked with. Um, one of which I I love the movie Out to Sea. 
uh-huh. which uh, you did with uh, Walter Matthau and Elaine I... Stritch, uh, who also passed away recently. Uh, I was sort of curious about your experience working with them and uh, sort of have any fond memories. Oh, my gosh. Every day was a fond memory <laughs> with Jack and with him. He was, there's just nobody like him. He was one of the funniest men that's ever lived. Brilliant comedian. And, uh, oh, I don't know. It just, he was a, he was a gambler. And, uh, he used to go on the weekends and gamble and, and uh, come in and I'd say, what's the next scene? He said, I don't know. I haven't read this. <laughs> <laughs> but he could, he could make anything funny. There was nobody like him. The man was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. One of the most brilliant um, actors I've ever worked with. Comedic. Comedic. Yeah. He could just look at you and shake his head and make you laugh. <laughs> but the other most brilliant was Peter Sellers. Uh, yeah, working on uh, the Pink Panther film uh-huh. with him. Yeah, also there was Blake nobody like, like, I'd somehow, sometimes have to take a pillow and put it to my head and fall down on the floor laughing. I'd be laughing so hard I'd be crying. <laughs> Literally. What was he, uh, what was he like on set creatively? Because you hear so many stories about, you know, sometimes he may have been a little rough around the edges or, You but, know, uh, they made a movie about him and they were so unkind about him. He was brilliant. He was the kindest, sweetest man. We used to shop for kitchenware together. Makes me so angry when I saw that film they made about him because he was just wonderful. Sweet, kind, generous, patient, loving, and brilliantly funny. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, every, what's interesting, every part, it's so, like, you look at Dr. Strangelove or you look at Inspector Clouseau, and then you go and it's also being there. I mean, it's almost like you, he loses himself in the character so much you can't even recognize Peter Sellers in no, a way. it's absolutely so true. It was brilliant. Genius. Genius. Yeah. I was curious, too, um, on Out to Sea, Elaine Stritch, uh, who's you know, one of my favorites as well. Um, you guys had oh, a lot of scenes gosh. together. Elaine is so wonderful. Just before she passed away, I, I did this thing on uh, six, uh, tw- uh, not 2020. I've worked with kids a lot and went out and filmed a lot of street kids, and I slept with them on the streets, and one of my young kids was murdered, and I did a thing on her. She saw the thing that I did um, on 2020, and she sent me a, a case of cupcakes, and I knew that she meant for me to hand them out in the street to the kids. She was so generous and so wonderful, not always easy to work with because she was so strong. But uh, we wound up great friends, great, great friends. Saw each other, talked to each other very often in New York, and I'm a big fan. Loved her, would do anything with her. Yeah, no, she had such a great uh, career on stage as well. Uh, oh, yeah. She one, got a Tony for her one-woman show. Yeah, incredible. I think she even started off with Tennessee Williams. She was doing um, a Street play Street was it? Yeah, maybe, or um, Bus Stop. Bus, oh, no, that was Williams. Whatever it was. Yeah. No, that was Judy Holiday, wasn't it? Um, Anyhow, stuff. yeah, but, yeah. No, she had a long uh, theater career, which is uh, you know really great. Um, I also wanted to talk about um, 
your career as a filmmaker because a lot of people don't know you're you're actually nominated for an Academy Award for directing a short film. Right. Um, so what sort of struck your passion in uh, making your own films at a certain point? Oh, I don't know. I think it was just an outgrowth of all I'd done and was doing. I've actually directed two. Um, one, I sold my house in order to pay for and uh, um, and that was heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking because I spent so much time. I turned down a series at Disney because I was working on the film. It was a great series. It was of a movie that I'd made called Rock and Roll Mom, and uh, it was a movie of the week, and they wanted to pick up 100 of the shows. And I said no because I was working on this film. And it opened in L.A. to brilliant reviews. They said it was a movie that Postcard from the Edge should have been. And that was a movie with Meryl Streep and... Uh, oh, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. And so the, the um, distributors... The distributor was a race car driver, and <laughs> he opened this, you know, company. And, we, and he said, okay, if the film does well in New York, we'll, we'll open it. Um, all over the United States. So we went to New York, and the night it opened, the Persian Gulf War broke out. Mm. Uh, went on TV the next morning, didn't even mention the movie, because our guys were being shipped overseas. People weren't going out to the theaters. Nobody even knew the movie was there, so that was a big one. Have you had a desire recently at all to direct another film? No. No. I've been there, done that. Um, I was given an office at Fox after they saw number one, which was nominated for an Oscar. Um, they gave me in my own office, my own parking spot on the lot, and uh, I sat there and just came up empty. I couldn't think of anything to write. My heart was in acting then. So I just kind of go with the flow. I try it all. Now I'm going back to Broadway, and it's just like that, you know? I like to reinvent and try new things. Yeah, so just go where you know you feel the passion for it. Exactly. That's a good way of saying it. And then just to kind of wrap everything up, I was sort of wondering um, if there's a particular film or even though maybe a particular moment in a film that you've worked on that uh, you feel the most proud of. I don't have a moment like that, you know. I think probably the end of Innocence was the biggest challenge because not only was I starring in that, but I was directing it. So when I would yell cut, many of the different departments would come up to me and ask me questions about what I wanted for the next scene, and the actors were wondering how they could do the scene better or could they have another take, and there, I was being challenged in so many different directions that for me I think that was the biggest challenge. But as far as any moment that I was proudest of, uh, I've just, I've had so many wonderful experiences and been, I'm so grateful for so many brilliant talents I've worked with, both on both sides of the camera. Um, and I can't remember, I can't, I couldn't tell you any, I guess the moment I'm proudest of is just, is just, um, gratitude for being given the privilege I've been given to work with all these wonderful people and for so many years in a profession that I'm crazy about.